I get this question a lot. Why don't you just buy commercial property? We've been told you get so much more rent, the tenants take care of everything and long-term you get so much growth as well. So in this video, I'm gonna share with you exactly what my thoughts are around residential property versus commercial, the pros and cons for both. And I'm gonna share with you exactly why I still continue to invest in residential, but that might change soon. If you're interested, keep watching. Hey guys, my name's Ravi and welcome back to Personal Finance with Ravi Sharma. If you're new here, smash that subscribe button because I talk about real estate, cryptocurrency and financial freedom. Now at the end of the day, investing in residential or commercial real estate, I mean, both have their pros and cons. And what you've got to realize is that it doesn't matter what the asset class is. What's more important is your roadmap, your strategy, your whole idea with how you're going to get from point A to point B when it comes to your goals. Now for me, I started in residential property at the age of 22 and I've stuck to it the whole way through. Now that doesn't mean I've never looked into commercial property. It doesn't mean that I've never actually gone and educated myself around it. It's just that when I looked at everything and then looked at where my goals were for what I wanted to achieve at the pace that I wanted to achieve it at, it just didn't fit in. But I wanna keep this quite balanced. And if I have missed anything, definitely leave a comment down below. Again, let's try and keep it productive so we can help people rather than just pointing fingers at anyone else because at the end of the day, that's not productive for anyone. Now, one of the major differences you're gonna find with residential versus commercial straight off the bat is how much of a deposit you can put into the actual property deal. So what I mean by this is that when you go ahead and buy say commercial property, you need to go in with a minimum 20% deposit. And in some cases it might be 30, it might be 40% as a deposit because the banks aren't ready to take on that level of risk. When you go ahead and buy residential property, you can go ahead and buy it in some cases at 5% deposit, but most likely you're gonna have a minimum of a 10% deposit to get into the deal. So straight from the outset, you're sitting there and saying, well, it takes me so much to save just to buy one residential property. It's gonna take me so much longer just to get enough to be able to buy a commercial property. That's why you'll find that most property investors will start with residential property first. You dip your toes in and then they start going and building out their portfolio to eventually go into some commercial properties too. But you don't need to go into commercial properties. Just like you don't need to go and renovate or you don't need to go and develop a house just because everyone else does it. You need to find out if it actually fits in with your strategy, then go for gold. And again, that's why these videos are just there to share my perspective, hopefully clarify a few questions in your mind, but ultimately I don't have the answer to everything. Does it look like I do? No, I don't. Now, not only do you need a higher deposit amount as a percentage of the value of the property, but the actual dollar figure is also gonna be a much larger. What you'll find is that with residential property, you can buy a unit for about 250K. You can go out and buy brick homes for about 350 to 400K. But when you go out there and buy commercial real estate, more often than not, you're spending at minimum $500,000. Now, again, I'm generalizing here. There's stuff that you can buy that's a lot less than this. But when I'm looking at A-grade sort of commercial property, you're at least spending 500K. So again, the price points are very different and that's just an entry level. When you go ahead and say, I'm gonna spend 500K on a house, you're going into a mid-tier location, could be a four or five bedroom brick home that's completely renovated. When you compare that to what you can get in a commercial space, I guess the average commercial asset that I would actually go and invest myself in is probably around eight to $900,000. Basically two times more than what I would have to spend on a residential property. So based on these scenarios, based on this information alone, what would an example be in terms of pricing and how much of a deposit would I need? Well, if I went ahead and bought a residential property and let's say it's for $450,000, I would only need a 10% deposit, which is $45,000 and then all of my other costs. Now, whether it's a buyer's agent's cost, whether it's a conveyancing, pest and build, all of those things bundled up together probably gets me to about 70 to $75,000 on that deal. When I go across to a commercial deal, I've got to put in, in a best case, 20% of a deposit. And if the actual commercial property is worth, say, 
$800,000, I've got to put in $160,000 just for the deposit, let alone everything else I also have to spend money on. So you can see the stark difference between getting started in real estate and whether you pick commercial or residential. Those are the main differences when it comes to the entry price point. But there are some additional differences as well. One of the biggest benefits of buying commercial property is that you often have a long-term tenant because you sign a deal for like three plus years, or in some cases could be three plus three, which would be three with the option of another three years, or you could go out there and create a tenancy agreement that lasts more than 10 years. There is obviously a lot of flexibility with this, but with that, you get a tenant. They're paying for a long period of time. Now, yes, of course, things could go wrong. The business that actually occupies the space could go bankrupt. Well, then you'll have to find a new tenant. But the main point is that on average, you're going to find that commercial leases are significantly longer than residential properties. So with this belief, you've had a lot of people come out and say, well, commercial property is great because I've got a long-term tenant. I don't need to worry about finding new tenants. I don't want to have to go through those issues. But on the flip side, if you look at the reality of residential property and having been invested for the better part of nine years, you can find trends and you can understand that there's a lot of stuff that gets blown out in the media. Like, hey, if I buy a property and it's going to have a tenant in there, the tenant's absolutely going to destroy the place. That's a guaranteed if you listen to the current affair. But in fact, it's quite the opposite. You could have tenants in there that actually love the place, treat it like their own home, and in some cases probably treat it better than I would, and they want to stay long-term. So despite the fact that you can get long-term tenancies in commercial real estate, you can also get that with residential property. And believe it or not, even in regional Australia, I'm talking about regional hubs where a majority of my properties are, if you go out there and you buy the right asset in the right market, you could have tenants stay there for longer than you actually own the property. And I can say this with a lot of confidence because a few of my properties have tenants there before I even bought it and they're still there. That means they take care of the property, which means I don't really increase the rent as much as I probably should in line with the market value. And that's because you reward loyalty. In my opinion, that's more important than just going and making an extra 20 or 30 bucks. For me personally, that means a lot. Now the counter to that, if you buy in the wrong area, your residential property is going to be vacant for much longer. Now, if you did look at just tenancies with the commercial lease, yes, you have the security of, oh, I've got a long-term tenant here. But again, if you pick the wrong location or you pick the wrong asset and you're like, well, yeah, I'm sure someone's going to come in here and rent it for 10 years. Well, you might be surprised because if you bought the wrong asset in the wrong market, it doesn't matter if it's residential or commercial, you're going to get screwed. You won't have a tenant in there. And usually what you find is that because these tenancies are so long, when a company comes in or a business comes in to occupy that space, they want to make sure it's the right space. So what you'll find is vacancy periods could be much longer. I've heard stories where commercial spaces have been vacant for about six or 12 months, just because you're trying to find the right tenant. Now in a market like right now, where vacancy rates are so low when it comes to residential property, you really don't have any issues with renting out your property. Again, the caveat here is you're buying in the right locations, but with vacancy rates as low as they are and the rental crisis that's going on, I don't think that's changing anytime soon. And that's why for me, when I'm comparing residential and commercial property from a tenancy perspective, I'm still opting for shelter because at the end of the day, I want an investment that's going to be there long-term. It has demand long-term. So if we're buying in the right location, it's ultimately providing shelter to someone. So that means I can go out and have tenants come in because they need to live there. But on the flip side, if I've got a commercial space and let's say it's an office, does a business really need an office? If we suddenly see a downturn in this economy or there's a recession or something like the pandemic happens, you had a lot of commercial spaces just be vacant for such a long period of time. I remember walking around in my neighborhood. I used to live in Southwest Sydney and I used to walk around and there was so many shop fronts that were just vacant and it was just for lease and they were dropping the price every single time. And it even tempted me to go, hey, maybe I should just open my own store. But then I was like, what am I gonna open my store with? And it was just so interesting because when you look at that on the flip side to residential property, yes, during the pandemic, you had many areas drop their rents because the supply peaked at that point. But when you look at how quickly houses can be constructed versus when you go out there for 
commercial spaces, it's again, very different. You're finding them in different locations. But the main point I'm trying to make here is that if you just get fed the narrative that you have long-term tenancies, you get higher rental yields from, you get long-term tenants from commercial and you don't get that with residential. Yeah, more often than not, you're signing a 12 month lease, but you can go ahead and sign a three or five year lease as well, if you'd like. On the point of tenancies, increasing your rent is something quite common if you're in a high demand area. So with residential property, it could be five, it could be 10, it could be 15%. Now with commercial properties, you actually have this in most cases inbuilt into your lease. So it could just go up in line with inflation. It could be a 3% increase or it could be a 10% increase every single year or at the end of the term. These are quite flexible, but the main point is that in both scenarios, you can increase your rents. And again, if there's demand there, you can increase it. The next point to note is about lending. When you go out and you try and get a residential loan, again, we go back to the whole LVR situation, which is they can go and give me a maximum loan of 90 or 95%. It's not the same with commercial lending. They look at a lot more stuff. And something that I came to learn years after I had started getting into investing is how exactly a bank would assess how to lend you money. Because you see with a residential property, let's say it's vacant. What they'll ask is for a rental appraisal. So you'll be able to get that. And based on that, they will forecast what the rent will be. And that's how they assess if it fits in with your borrowing capacity. When you go over to commercial lending, it is slightly different. They won't go ahead and just take a rental appraisal because the dollar value is so much higher in most cases. So what that could mean is that it could significantly reduce the value on paper for the bank's eyes. And that's why I say that, yes, you could probably go in with a 20% deposit, but most likely you could be at 30 or 35%, depending on where they think the value actually stacks up. So valuations are so different when it comes to both of these, because it's super easy if it's residential, you go out and you see comparables, there might be three betters, there might be four betters, this one might be better than yours, this might have an extra bathroom or less space. And so it's a lot easier with residential property to realize what the values are. When you go across to commercial, it is tied with the rental income you make. Now this is a pro and con, because the con of this is that if your rent that you've secured with a tenant is actually lower than what the market rate is, guess what? They're probably gonna value your property a lot less. But the pro to this is that if you can find an asset like a commercial property that's being tenanted for less than what the market value is, and you know, based on all of your data and all of the research you've done, then you could probably secure something that could have an uplift in their commercial value because the rent could go up to the market rent. In some cases with residential, you've got leases that are you know from a year ago, but they don't match up with the market rent. And that's basically what we're talking about with commercial. So it's both a pro and con. Now, the final note I'll make around commercial properties and tenancies is that all outgoings are actually paid by the tenant, which is a significant improvement on what you could do with say a residential property. What I mean by this is when you're looking at council rates and water rates and things like that, you have to pay that as a landlord. As a property owner, you're paying that as part of your expenses. With a commercial property, most often the tenant is actually paying for that. So that would increase your net yield. So what you could find is that your net yield on a commercial property is higher than what it would be on a residential property. Now, keep in mind, if you're saying comparing a 5% rental yield on a commercial property versus a Sydney property, yes, it is significantly higher and it's yielding you a better cash flow. But when you go ahead and compare it to other markets around Australia, because there are so many markets, you will find the odd property going from between five, five and a half to 6% rental yield. That's probably the highest I would go is around six to six and a half percent because I like a balance when I go ahead and buy my residential property. I want to go out there and have cash flow. That's great. But the cash flow keeps you in the game. It allows you to hold these assets, especially when interest rates are moving so high. The capital growth is where you get out of the game. It allows you to get a financial freedom. So despite me making videos about cash flow and how important it is, trust me, I will not forego capital growth just because I want a few extra dollars of cash flow, especially in today's market where you're most likely seeing interest rates in the high fives or 6% now, you're going to find that a lot of properties, unless they're renting for a significant amount, you're probably going to fall into that neutral or slightly negative cash flow. This shouldn't deter you from actually going ahead with the deal. It actually puts you in a strong 
strong position because when things turn around and the yields start picking up, your value will also pick up with it. So given everything I've just covered off this video, I'm hoping that it was a balanced approach. And if you have learned something, you should smash that like button. But the key takeaway from this video is that some people that have a large amount of money will opt to go for a commercial property. Now I have the choice of buying one commercial property or going out and buying three or four smaller affordable properties in different markets. I will still opt for that option. Why? Because I can go out there and improve the value. I have so much more flexibility because I don't need to keep all three or four. I could sell one or I could sell two, but still hold other assets. When I've got a commercial property, unfortunately, all my risk at that price point is in one property. That's not to say that I'll never look at commercial property you know, in the future, but for right now, despite having the deposits, despite having the cash flow and the borrowing capacity to buy something larger, I still opt for the 400 to 450K brick home in different Australian markets. Personally, the way I see it is there's a shortage of housing and I believe there is a big opportunity in securing good real estate in good areas because trust me, when I was doing this about two years ago and I've got videos on this channel where I was like, hey, we secured this for like 258 or for 263 and I was trying to like negotiate on one or 2000 and like flip this back, man. I wanna go back two years ago and buy as many as I can. So I think the same thing's gonna happen where we could be talking about the average price of brick homes being closer to 600,000. Whereas right now you can still pick up a few at just around 400 to 450K. If you've needed help in finding residential property, definitely contact me. I've got details to my buyer's agency that can help you. But if not, and you've got some clarity, smash that like button, subscribe if you haven't already, and I'll catch you guys in the next one. Thanks guys.